Hello and welcome to Euractiv's Agri-Food Podcast. I'm Natasha Foote. I'm Julia Dam. And I'm Gerardo Fortuna. And here's your weekly update on all things agriculture in the EU from Euractiv's Agri-Food News Team. This week, the Council's decision on livestock emissions, the Mercosur Trade Agreement and a Queen Bee. Yes, as you just heard from Julia, there was a decision that came on Friday, finally, on the... Da, da, da. Well, let's not get too excited because it's the decision from the council. So just mm-hmm. one part of the decisions. The First partial decisions. preliminary decision. <laughs> partial preliminary decision. And we're all getting so excited about it. Um, on the industrial emissions directive. So if you're familiar with the podcast, you've been here a few times, then you would have heard me speak about this. For It's one of these subjects that requires so much background to then kind of get into what what was agreed and why it's interesting. Natasha saying she's tired of explaining it every time. <laughs> Basically, or saying I'm I'm getting good at it. Well, I mean, I don't know. You have to be the judge of that. I'm not sure. Um, well, it's, it's not about you being good. It's about your willingness to do it. Yes, yes. <laughs> Here we go again. <laughs> so basically, there's this proposed overhaul of the Industrial Emissions Directive, which was unveiled by uh, the Commission back in April of 2022. And this is aiming to reduce harmful emissions coming from industrial installations. And where we're talking about the agri side of this is that actually the scope of this is being expanded to include some of the largest livestock farms in the EU. Now, big bone of contention between farming uh, stakeholders, between green groups, etc., is basically at what point you define a farm as, you know, as industrial, as basically coming under this directive. Um, and so there's been a lot of back and forth on this. And now finally, the council who ha- had a lot of different disagreements about this have finally come up with a number with a joint uh, general approach. And of course, it's not just about livestock, but that's the bit that we're interested in, considering we're here on the Agri-Food podcast. Um, and so, yes, they had this position, which was agreed um, back on, well, it was Thursday last week, wasn't it? We were yeah, all Thursday. in the council. Um, the environmental council. Yeah. And so they finally agreed on this threshold number for livestock farming, which was several times, well, over twice, actually, what the commission had proposed in its original proposal. So there's a big gap here between the council and the commission. Remains to be seen how this will be kind of hashed out in the inter-institutional negotiations. Um, it's a bit always like this, like, uh, yeah, a tip for who who, follow, who wants to follow your affairs. But when it comes to mandate ahead of a negotiation, of an institutional negotiation to amend the text of the commission, the council uh, is always trying to water down the ambition. Mm-hmm. The parliament usually more ambitious. Is very ambitious. Mm-hmm. It's a bit of a you know uh, the the roles of these two lawmakers. Uh, they are both aware that uh, their positions is not going to be the the final. Yeah, one. they're playing in the game. They're yeah, playing in the game. game. They're going yeah. over what they want to bring it down to somewhere they actually want. And of course, that's the the negotiating game here in Brussels. Um, but I mean, if you want the details about exactly what they've proposed and what they what they what is in this decision, you can find that on an article that I've put together on Euractive. But I think what was interesting was seeing the the reaction from agri stakeholders about, yeah, about this. Yeah, yeah. Um, because actually it was, I mean, it was pretty broadly negative to be honest, starting with uh, the EU's Environment Commissioner, Virginia Sienkiewicz, who, you know, he, he, he basically said he, he recognised that it, significantly lowers the ambition of the commission proposal um, and he wasn't super happy about that he was saying it's not really going to tackle these 
these large EU farms, which are just getting larger and, and larger as they're getting consolidated into bigger and bigger um, installations. Uh, green groups weren't happy. They said that this gave a free pass to industrial factory farms. Um, and the farmers weren't happy either. So actually nobody was happy, really, from the agri side of things. Well, they say that that's what makes a good compromise. <laughs> That is what they say, isn't it? That everyone's unhappy. Um, that certainly is the case here. Uh, so yeah, EU Farmers I, Association. I barely remember one uh, one farming file in which uh, everyone was actually happy. Anyone was happy. Yeah. Yeah, like, I'm trying to think. I'm having a pause to genuinely have a think. But I'd say more often than not, that there's like maybe one stakeholder that's happy and one that's but not. But even when one stakeholder is happy, it's not really happy. Like, ah, it's fine, but we could have done Yeah, better. they could welcome it. Also, yeah, but it's also, that's also the game. Like, you're kind of not allowed to say you're happy. You always have to be like, yeah, we welcome it, but it could have been more ambitious or whatever. It's true. I mean, EU Farmers Association, Copacajaca, went so far as to say maybe this should be renamed the IDD. Do you know what this stands for? Yeah, because I read that. Because you read the article. Very good, very good. <laughs> the Industrial Disaster Directive is what they said. Maybe mm. this should be renamed. I think Green Groups all should be fine with that as well. I think, <laughs> they yeah, think it's a kind yeah, of disaster. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, not the best reception you've ever had. But still, Council's got an agreement, got their position. And as I said, this will now be taken forward for now for lots more fun discussions to be had. And we will be following those very closely. And for sure, the Industrial Emission Directive won't be on the menu of today's Agriculture Council. Because, what a segue. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, I know. I know. Well, it's not your first time, is it? I know, I know. Oh, wow. I'm, a, I'm a professional podcaster. <laughs> and uh, yeah, this today there's going to be this uh, Agrifish Council. Mm-hmm. I'd say that the fisheries part is a bit uh, more relevant this time. Definitely dominates, isn't Even it, though it's not December, so it's not quota night. Uh, but minister will basically discuss the, the package, the big sustainable fisheries package presented at the end of uh, February, uh, which included an action plan to protect and restore marine ecosystems, a communication on the energy transition of the EU fisheries and aquaculture sector, an assessment of the EU common fisheries policy, which is a bit the fisheries cap. Mm-hmm. It's also quite similar to CFP. Uh, and the EU Common Market Organization, uh, market organization, which again, there's something identical yes, in the communication policy. Mm. Uh, they were both, both last reformed in 2013. And uh, again, Sinkevich, who's, uh, who's not only the Environment Commission, is also the Fisheries Commission, True. will uh, uh, again steal uh, the show. And um, the, the most interesting or the most controversial actually aspect is the, the ban on bottom trawling in uh, um, in ma- marine protected areas. Uh, even this debate is a bit like the one on uh, IED because uh, the social and the economic impact uh, has not really been unveiled uh, by the commission. Uh, and uh, and basically, yeah, this this. Uh, some things that this could actually end several businesses in the fishery sector. On the other side, the green group, or actually the blue groups, uh, <laughs> environmentalists, uh, um, environmentalists, uh, basically focusing on oceans. Uh, they actually want the commission to do more, uh, and of course the lawmakers to uh, increase the to, for instance, um, anticipate the ban on bottom trawling. And uh, yeah, this is basically uh, the aspects, the main aspect of uh, today's 
council, but there are also some agri topics. There are indeed, yeah. I mean, one that's a recurring topic that we've had for the last, you know, last year and a bit um, is about the market situation uh, in in light of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. There will be a discussion about that and and hints that there'll maybe be a discussion a bit about how they can also help neighbouring countries, which has been, again, a dis- topic of discussion um, in, in many recent meetings of EU agricultural ministers. Yeah, but I guess we have to convince listeners to listen to this podcast. If you say this, <laughs> everything's the same time, every <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, we need to sell it better. No, I'm joking, I'm joking, of course, absolutely. And there's also, you mean sell the agrifish better? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know also... that our listeners are loyal to uh, the agrifish yeah, council and to yeah. the agri topic, and they know that it's interesting. We don't have to convince them. Yeah, and the thing is, they already know that it's been a topic because they've listened to all of our podcasts previously. That's why we are, we are too good. That's why I'm skipping over it. You know, we can go straight to the interesting stuff, which is a discussion on on Syria. Wow, a very know. contentious uh, potential trade agreement with the Mercosur countries. Um, so this debate about a free trade deal with the four Mercosur countries in South America has uh, kind of come back on the table ever since um, there was a change of government in Brazil, which is, I think, the biggest of the Mercosur ones. Um, So last year, um, the conservative, um, or right-wing, actually right-wing populist, not just conservative, uh, Jair Bolsonaro uh, lost the elections and uh, his successor is uh, socialist, Luis uh, Ignacio Lula de la Silva. Uh, apologies for my pronunciation. You that very well, I think. <laughs> Trying to sound Portuguese. Um, yeah, so ever since then, you countries have been a bit more open again to collaborating with Brazil and the other Mercosur countries and to potentially strike a free trade deal. Uh, but it's still very, very contentious. And it's been put on the agenda of this week's, uh, of today's Agrifish Council by Austria, actually, which is one of the countries that are standing against the deal. So Austria submitted a note to the other ministers, which criticizes the deal. Um, And it argues, uh, among other things, that um, this deal for which negotiations are actually already started in 1999 uh, is not state of the art anymore. And that in the meantime, more recent deals have found better ways to incorporate sustainability standards. So this is one of the big issues. Um, especially in the agri-sector, because these are countries, Brazil, Argentina, um, it's countries that have that are very big agricultural exporters. And so people are worried in the domestic agriculture sector in the EU that the market will be flooded with um, agricultural exports from, from these countries that are produced in a way that doesn't have to uh, adhere to EU standards. So they can be cheaper, they can be um, less dif- difficult to produce. Uh, and that they will be exported to the EU market. So this is a big fear. Another country that's um, opposing the deal is France. Um, President Emmanuel Macron has called to include uh, so-called mirror clauses in the in the deal, which would mean that EU standards are also applied to imports. So it would be a very um, a very big, a very um, incisive step um, towards the, the Mercosur countries, basically telling them you have to produce according to the same rules that we also produce too. Um, but of course, it's meant to uh, it's meant to make sure that uh, there's a level playing field between domestic and South, South American producers. 
Um, but despite all this opposition, Germany is actually um, a big uh, uh, a big champion for the deal. And uh, this week, no, last week actually now, um, two ministers from Germany, so Economy and Climate Minister Robert Habeck and Agriculture Minister Cem Estemir, uh, went on a six-day trip to South America, to Brazil and Colombia. Um, and they uh, called to uh, to make progress on the deal, to finalize it, because they hoped that the deal could actually bridge the gap between sustainability, uh, climate and environmental action on one hand and boosting trade on the other. And they hope that now, um, if the EU and these countries collaborate um, and establish a strong cooperation, this can actually help boost both sustainability and trade. And there's one last point that I think will be a nice segue, another nice segue into the next section of our podcast. Lots of nice segues. So many segues, oh my goodness. Um, And that is also that there will be a discussion today about both the nature restoration law, which is another contentious um, issue. We're not going to get too far into this right now on the podcast. And also on the New Deal for Pollinators and why I am mentioning this. Why am I mentioning this, Julia? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have a guest to speak on the podcast uh, who also has a lot to do with pollinators. It's uh, in fact her day-to-day job. Um, so a while ago, I went to the Berlin Agriculture um, Fair called the Green Week, and I met lots of interesting people. And one of them was um, Tadesha Wittmer, and she's a, a beekeeper and a small farmer in Slovenia. Um, she's not just any beekeeper, though. She's actually been crowned the Honey Queen by the Slovenian Beekeeping Association. Honey um, Queen. Quite nice real Queen Bee. Queen bee, absolute queen bee. <laughs> and I talked to her about um, some of the challenges that she's facing as a, as a beekeeper and as a small farmer in the country um, and what the government could do about it, what some steps to take could be. So let's listen to what she had to say. You're a small farmer, but also a beekeeper in Slovenia. So could you tell me a bit about um, which which issues you experience as a beekeeper working in Slovenia? Yes, I'm a beekeeper from Slovenia. I have around uh, 30 colonies of bees and I also um, reared uh, the queen bees. And the problem we have in Slovenia is high concentration of bees. On one square kilometer, we have around 10 colonies, which is a lot, too much actually, because I cannot actually do my work like um, when we are talking about genetic problems I cannot choose the the bees from my area because the, around me there are around uh, 12 beekeepers also uh, so yeah this is a big issue but not only about the genetic problems um, a lot of bees in small area means um, more diseases like American full brood or of course, of course, uh, Varroa, it's even more, um, you have a higher chance to actually get the Varroa in your hive, even though you are treating your bees well and you're doing the work you should be doing. Um, I think the problem is because of the country, like the country wants um, to promote the beekeeping lifestyle 
and uh, especially with Slovenian people, um, when we get to certain age, like around uh, 50, we say when we get old, we will be beekeepers. And <laughs> therefore, uh, there are lots of hobby beekeepers who don't know actually how to work with bees in the right way. So they don't have um, enough knowledge about diseases. They can actually um, make with it like one hive, one com one colony. So I think the country should be working more on the like finan financial support with bigger beekeepers and try to um, try to avoid or maybe not promote the beekeeping lifestyle as a hobby, but as a um, as an important branch of uh, farming actually. Mm. And is there anything you'd also like to see in terms of action from the EU side? In our area, we have a smaller group of people, uh, beekeepers, of course. Um, and we have around, like the minis, uh, 50 colonies per person. Um, but what we are doing with Varroa treatment, we, we are actually learning that we have to treat the Varroa at the same time. Uh, this is really important. So we treat the we have a varroa treatment in the same week, or we try we are trying uh, to treat the varroa in the same day. So that is the action we are planning, and we are doing like the second year right now. Uh, and also, I have to say that uh, we have a new project, uh, also the second year, um, when we as a small organization. Um, we have around 40 people in that organization. Uh, we actually connect, uh, connect to farmers and ask them if they, they are, um, or if they want to um, grow the plants and uh, the seeds, which are good for the bees. Because of many bees in our area, there are also little food for them. Therefore, uh, we do not have uh, honey as much as we could be having it. Uh, we are actually supporting the farmers so they can grow the weeds, which are which are good for the the bees. They give uh, they actually give them food, and um, we financially support them with the cost of, um, of buying those um, plants, flowers, uh, and also uh, the clover. The clover is the most important here in our area. Farmers and beekeepers working together—that's nice to hear. Um, mm -hmm. Let's talk about one more topic um, also related to kind of the interaction between farming and beekeeping. Um, the EU Commission proposed to cut pesticide use in half in the EU by 2030 in its recent proposal for a new um, pesticides regulation. As a beekeeper, is that something you support uh, cutting down on pesticides this way? Could it help better protect your bees? Here I am like for 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 and um, against because as a farmer I know that if you want to have enough food uh, for your um, animals you have to actually take care of the wheat and uh, corn. I can give you an example. Beekeepers in Slovenia they must tell the farmer uh, which has um, a crop or something around them that or ask them if they 
will be using pesticides or other chemicals, they should use them early in the morning, like at five o'clock when there is no wind or in the evening. So there, there are not a lot of uh, dying bees around them. So uh, I actually support the system with the normal use of pesticides. So that's all from us this week. This week, the AgriFood podcast was produced by Euractiv's AgriFood news team. That's Strada Fortuna, Natasha Foot, and Julia Dam, with the technical support of Evi Chiori. You can also find this podcast on all major streaming platforms. That includes Amazon, Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter so you don't miss the latest agricultural news from the EU, from Euractiv's AgriFood team. I'm Gerardo Fortuna. Thanks for listening, and see you next week. Thank you.